Happy New Year, and welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. The following interview with Rob Delecki was recorded a couple weeks ago at the FDR Skate Park in Philly. Timing couldn't be better because the newest issue of DIG, Life After Print, edition 99.8, is out, and Rob has a great interview in there, along with a bunch of other awesome photographers. So you should definitely check it out. Rob hints that he has a picture in there while we were chatting in the interview, and it is of Cody Diggs. It's an awesome two-page spread, so definitely grab the newest dig as soon as you can, and definitely before it runs out. I'm sure you can get it through digbmx.com. So anyway, I'll see you soon. I'll be at the Will Mill in the middle of... Feb, or I'm sorry, January for the Women's Weekend and doing a couple interviews there with some really good people and also at Swamp Fest in February. So thanks again for the support. Enjoy the listen. Once again, Happy New Year. <laughs> I won't be because... You gotta leave. <laughs> no, because we've got, we've got lots, of in, lots of Instagram questions too. Uh, and you've got some really good ones. So, yeah, everyone says that every time I say you've got lots of Instagram questions, they're like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, who knows what it's going to bring up? <laughs> oh, man. yeah. All right, well, let's get it going. Welcome uh, back to the BMX in Our Blood. I'm here with uh, what I call the Passport Points Leader, <laughs> Rob Delecki. Um, that might be Brad Sims. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to mention that. At the iconic FDR skate park, we've got some FDR background noise behind us. Uh, it's a little bit cold, so we're in the van, but uh, you could definitely hear the highway above us for sure. So, um, welcome, Rob. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for asking me to do my first podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You said you've gotten, uh, you, you know, you've done written interviews, but this is a different kind of, different kind of deal. So, um, don't worry. We're we're both new at this, so we'll we'll get through it for sure. But. Um, Let's start with the easy stuff and just give me your basic BMX history, uh, some of which I know because yeah. that's how we met. Yeah. But uh, give me the give me the basics. When you started, why, uh, where? Started riding '84. Well, that's when I got my first bike, um, and that was I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City. So like that's was my introduction to bike riding through some neighborhood friends that raced. And yeah, that got me going into it, and got my first bike and started riding. So this was like Braddock days. Where was your first track? Yeah, that was my first track. I mean, before, I, I didn't. I started riding before I actually raced. It was like a year before. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to race because that's like was my first exposure to bike yeah. riding. Was was at that point in like the early '80s. That's what BMX was. Was BMX racing? That's the only thing. There wasn't really any other aspect of bike riding outside of you know the infancy of like street ride or not street riding but like uh like fr- freestyle which was flatland i guess for the most part like bob harrow what he right. was doing um so yeah then my friends that did race they raced at braddock so actually it was another track called oakland but that closed down that's a whole nother story like in, that was like right when i started riding there was like some crazy shootout at this amusement park or this like water park next door to the track while a race was going on there was a shootout 
and then the track closed. Obviously, Tick finished the race that day, and then never opened again. And that wow. that part closed forever too. Wow. It's still there. There's actually a pool there that people ride sometimes. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I remember going to Braddock, but you know. Yeah. Then then that then I started going. To, I started going to Braddock, um, and then raced there until it closed. How far away was the other place from Braddock? Uh, it was closer to where I lived. It was okay. probably within six miles, I'd say, where I lived. Oh, okay. And then Braddock was 10 miles away. And I know it was about 10 miles because I used to ride there to race and ride home. <laughs> How far does a bullet travel? What's that? How far does a bullet travel? <laughs> Should I have been worried? <laughs> Could have been, yeah. It was funny because I, I knew this, this one kid was actually at the race that day that I knew. Like, I found out a few years later, he was, like, at the race that day when it happened. And I was like, yeah, pretty crazy story. Wow, that's scary stuff. Yeah. So that was early '80s. That was that happened in '84, and I started racing in '85. Okay, got it. So we're we're pretty much the same era. Yeah. So well, I you had a couple years on me. Yeah, I still remember that photo. Yeah, I remember that photo you posted of like some dude riding a pool in like '83. That that has nothing to do with me. I I came across those pictures right. through a bike shop in Connecticut. Okay. And that guy had a bunch of old school stuff, and he yeah. let me go through his photo that, album. That pool looked unbelievable. Like I wish that thing yeah. was still around today. Man. I think we figured out that to be the a pool in Naugatuck, Connecticut. Yeah. That of course is filled in, but um, it, it, there was a series of pictures that I grabbed and uh, took pictures of from him, and then and then gave them back. And um, yeah, they're they're just really cool pictures. I wish I knew more about it. Um, I did get the name of the rider at one point, but you know at this point it's it's irrelevant. But it yeah. was it was cool. But yeah, that wasn't me. I started in '83, so. Uh, I didn't really. I wouldn't have run into you until we started to cross paths. I started racing MBL, which was like yeah. ninety. That's when I started going to Connecticut. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I used to see it. My most vivid memory is, is seeing you at Connecticut series races, which would I, I remember you were at the old Bristol Thunder Alley track, <laughs> which was that was you know with Savage Mountain and, and all that stuff, but. Uh, but you were you were getting around. Yeah, sure. I was trying. I was like, that was like when I got my first car and uh, had friends. Actually, Adam and Jesse Price. Oh yeah. They're, they they uh, knew they used to go to like old Connecticut race. They lived in New York at the time. Yeah. And uh, so I would go with them. To, that's when I started going to Connecticut was with those dudes. And uh, I'll see you pick them up. Bring yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent that. Um, Adam and Jesse and Tyrone Means. They were like the dudes that kind of introduced me to New York City, basically. Like I, was, I first went, to, I rode around New York City with those guys, and like when I was like 16, it's like um, I don't know, 89 or something, 88 or 89, somewhere around there. And that was like my first exposure to New York City streets, and that like that's what ignited the whole like love of New York City for me when I was living up there. I got it. And that's when I started going to the city a whole bunch. And then, but yeah, but then once I got a car, then I would pick them up meet them up they lived at like uh, Cabrini Boulevard and 181st in Washington Heights I'd stay at, stay at their house yeah. um, we'd go you know go hit a bunch of races we're at Long Island like right. Connecticut whatever yeah right yeah then you won't be surprised that they have questions for you no no I haven't <laughs> talked to them in years but other than Adam through Instagram but yeah they're, yeah. Ba- they're back in it they're yeah. riding again yeah yeah both, I saw that it's awesome the... to see Adam yeah Trent. Adam and Jesse are yeah. both Oh, yeah. that again so yeah so many so many good times with those dudes so so back then uh we'll uh we'll kind of say that you were leading a dual life 
because uh, <laughs> you know it was one thing to do trails and race, but you were uh, you were riding street. Well, I wouldn't really say I was riding street then. I was like, because like when I started riding, it was like riding freestyle had just become a thing where it was like flatland and kind of ramps. But like where I grew up, there was no ramps, no skate parks, nothing. So ramps wasn't really an option. Other than one dude had a, a backyard half for like a couple months, which I'd kill to ride today. I wish I could ride. I was like six foot tall. It was like, looked like it would have been really fun, but I had no idea how to ride ramps. I could barely turn around on it. I only got to ride it like twice and then it was gone. And that was the only exposure I had to ramps um, for like the you know first like five years of riding. Um, and street riding really wasn't a thing. It was just kind of like street riding to me was there wasn't even a definition. It was just like riding was it was like an extension of riding. You hit like curb jumps and some yeah. banks or something. That was it. Like you, people didn't really even do like wall rides or anything yet. So. Right. I didn't right. know what that was, or no one else did either, I guess, you know, but right. um, by the time when I started riding, like, when I started going to New York, I was really into, like, racing and riding trails, so I rode, rode around, I kind of knew what street riding was at that point, but it wasn't something I was really, like, trying to do, I just kind of did it by pedaling around and riding, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna go, let me go find a ledge, or let me go find a wall ride, we were just riding the streets, not trying to look for for things just yeah. that's just what we did just pedaling around and exploring that that would have been in the era era of malali right yeah yeah and then so, i started so going were, to malali okay. in the I, I didn't go there much but i went there a few times like in the early like around like before i remember i went there before i had a car once because like adam and jesse lived for real close to malali it was only like 10 minute pedal um so i remember going there once or twice and then um couple times after that but then yeah I didn't really go there too much until like the mid to late 90s that's when I started going there a whole bunch but at that like I said at that point I was like I said just riding trails and racing mostly I wasn't really that interested in ramps I didn't know how to ride them it wasn't that fun to me at that point but I I liked it but it wasn't something I like strove to do I was just more into like oh let me go try and find some piles of sandy dirt to ride or something I don't know I got you yeah I've got a great Malawi story that I'll save for another time, but it basically involves, we were, we probably crossed paths, but, um, I believe it was Drew and myself and some other guys went to Malawi and, uh, let's just say my, my truck got ghost ridden <laughs> or possibly stolen. I wasn't sure which, but it was, it was, it's, it's a pretty good story. So, um, yeah, well, that's the other thing too, at that point too. Malali was in the South Bronx. That was like such a wild area. Oh, yeah. Like you kind of were on edge. Like you didn't really go there by yourself. You were trying to go there with other people. So I didn't really consider that like something. Oh, I'm gonna go there. Yeah. You know, I rode Manhattan. Manhattan was a little less wild, but yeah. that was like the tail end of the whole '70s, '80s New York City wildness that I'm still fascinated with today. Like I, I love that. Like looking back at photos and video of that era, because it's I had I was fortunate enough to get a glimpse of that when I started riding the city a little bit and um, even going to Malali those few times I went I got to see like the Bronx and it's crazy wildness and where yeah like it was definitely a place you had to be on your toes (laughs) well at all times (laughs) and I was so therefore I thought that uh, I thought my truck was getting stolen but okay the story was (laughs) is it was parked on a hill because it was underneath the train tracks yeah up on the hill up the other side of the street was kind of an incline e-brake popped loose or whatever and the truck rolled away on its own <laughs> and I was like 
you know, oh crap, my truck's getting stolen, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm yelling, and I'm like, oh, it's getting stolen, blah, blah. and then I look, and I'm like, there's nobody in it, <laughs> but somehow, miraculously, it, it, uh, it kind of, like, didn't hit any oncoming traffic wow. or anything, yeah. it just kind of veered off, it probably ended up parallel park perfectly along the park, <laughs> but, uh, it no, it's good, All right. so, so park. it turns out the Bronx was fine, yeah. Bronx was totally safe, <laughs> I just had this suspicion that my truck was getting stolen. But <laughs> anyway, um, so when in, when and why did you move to Philly? Uh, I moved to the end of 2006, and that was basically I was living with a few dudes who rode in a funeral home or above a funeral home. In I was going to say riding in or funeral home. <laughs> no, this yeah. is getting good. Oh, I mean, I did. Yeah, that's a whole other story. Okay. But basically, uh, my friend Mark, uh, he was a local at these Woodbridge Trails at the time. Um, his father owned this pretty big house. It was like multi-level house. The first floor was a funeral home. And the second and third floor was rented out. Yeah. And so basically, he moved into there, and I moved into there for a couple of years. Brian Tony actually lived there, and a couple other dudes. And yeah, that was a, kind of a bizarre situation because it wasn't a separate entrance. You had to walk through the funeral home to get to to the second floor. So there's plenty of times like, you know, you're walking through the night before. There's a, a body posted up for the, the, the viewing the next day, like. <laughs> and then when there's there was viewings going on, like you tried not to be home at the time. That was part of the deal. It was, it was super cheap rent, so I was like, oh, this is great. But there was st- there's certain factors that you had to yeah. deal with, like. You know, when there's a viewing going on, sometimes I was home and you right. hear people crying. I lived on the second floor, so I hear people crying and stuff. I'm just like, oh man, I gotta leave. Like, and then wow. you gotta leave, so, so you had to like walk through. <laughs> Usually, sometimes I come home, like I, I'd like have to walk through. The view. They'd be like thinking I was someone. People would be thinking like I'm part. I'm there to see the right, right. You know, for the for the wake. But I'm right. I'm just going to, to, right to my bedroom. Like, <laughs> it was a bizarre situation. But anyway, so that was coming to an end, and I need to move. And I was kind of contemplating maybe moving to like Jersey City or somewhere closer to, to New York City because it was in a town called Rahway, which is probably like you know half hour from New York City. Right. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll move a little closer. Jersey City was an option. Um, Dave King. One day I was like at Posh or something. Dave King had been living in Philly at the time, and he was he was looking to move out of where he was at, and he was basically like, hey. You know, I told him I was probably moving soon. He's like, hey, why don't you move to Philly? And I was like, I never thought about it until he said that. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'll do that. So then started looking for a place to live. And yeah, we moved to, it was me, Dave King, and Brian Tony. We moved into this spot on, uh, off of 2nd. Uh, it was right near 2nd Street and Gerard, a uh, street called Howard Street. So I moved there and then stayed there, ever, stayed in Philly ever since. Wow. Yeah. All right, so it's been... Well over ten years. A little over ten, 10 years, been, yeah. Eleven yeah. years now at this point. Got um, it. Yeah, and I loved it ever since. This is the first time I've lived actually in a city. I always lived in the suburbs, and it was like kind of like you walk out the door, you gotta like jump in the car, drive somewhere if you want to ride. It was hardly anything to really ride that was close. There was a couple, you know, Broadway. There was a couple things to ride nearby, but for the most part, everywhere else I lived, it was like a trek to ride anything. Philly, it was like you literally just walk out your door, go down the block. There's like stuff to ride everywhere, and between that. And FDR, some other bunch of other concrete spots that have popped up. It's yeah, it's, for me, it's paradise to live here, like Rodney was, and right. just the convenience of everything, like living in a city. At this point in my life, this is like where I like to live. That's why I've stayed here for so long. Yeah, yeah. So, street and parks a big part of your life. When did you? 
kind of make that transition? When did you race last and then and then kind of turn it to... And I ask this question a lot of people because there's transitions in everyone's lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. BMX. Um, well, I think so, life, life is... You're constantly in transition. Yeah. With me, it was, you know, like I had said before, I, I when I first started riding, I pretty much was, like, into, like, flatland, the, the infancy of flatland and ride racing and the other aspect of it was racing there wasn't really trails or anything tra- everything else was just kind of like a slight byproduct but there wasn't really a thing so then i got into racing which is by default became trails too and so for a number of years i raced and rode trails and then i'd say and sh- what would you call street riding but i never like put pegs on i just kind of you know hit wall rides and stuff and that was like oh was always a fact like a, a like an ass like a piece of my riding I'd say um but it wasn't something I was like considering oh I'm a street rider or something I just kind of did whatever and then ramps I said was never really something I rode until the early 90s because there was nothing ever around there's no skate parks or anything anywhere I lived there was that didn't exist so I never like got to ride it enough and then in the early 90s I started going to indoor parks to ride something in the winter because there was nothing else to ride and it was cold as shit so I'm like I need to ride inside um so I started riding, going, there's one skate park called Newburgh in upstate New York sure. that was around for a few years. That was like pretty much my first like real indoor park that I rode. And that's what really started getting me into riding ramps, I'd say. Um, and by default, I started putting pegs on my bike to ride the ramps because like, oh, you know, I didn't, I, it was something else to do, which then translated to like, oh, I can grind on ledges on street or whatever. So that kind of that kind of was like a steady evolution from just doing that for a couple winters to like doing it all the time and still kind of racing. But then by like I say like the late '90s, '98 or so, I was not really racing anymore. I was still going to track. There was a local track near me called Sea Caucus, so I went there until that closed. And then once that track closed, but I was just going there to like ride and hang out with people and stuff and like not really racing. Um, once that closed, and I really didn't go to tracks anymore. That was pretty much the end of it. And part of, like, there was a number of factors why I stopped racing. Part of it was clips were coming into play, which is a factor for a lot of people, it seems like, sure. at that, for that era, why they stopped racing. Um, I was just, just had different, the competing aspect of riding wasn't really appealing to me anymore. I just wanted to, like, enjoy riding. And it's like, instead of spending money to compete against people and only have this, like, small window of riding that you're paying to do, I was like, well... Why don't I just go ride and spend money on a tank of gas and go ride somewhere for the weekend? It just made more, a lot more sense. Sure. Started making more and more sense to me at that point. So. Right. Yeah. So let's see. We'll get into photography after because that's like a obviously a huge part of your life now. Yeah. But um, I don't want you to think I'm skipping over that. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, that's that's pretty important. <laughs> yeah. But um, so having having seen so many errors of BMX. I'll ask you this question. Do you see any parallels with BMX history and today with the portrayal of BMX? Yeah, it's funny because, like, I'm, I want to say I'm, like, pretty fortunate to have been in, around bike riding for so long. And it's always been, like, such a huge part of my life. It's, like, my life kind of re- still, for some reason, it still revolves, essentially revolves around that two-wheel vehicle. <laughs> it's since I, from the time I was like got my first bike or even before I got my first bike to now it's been 
you know, 30-something years. I, I don't know why. It just <laughs> it right. does, but it does. That's just what I do, I guess, and that's what I've always done. So that's what I like doing. Um, as far as the portrayal of it, when I started, like, when I I was a big fan, obviously, of magazines and all that, so that was my main, and a lot of majority of bike riding, that was the, the main exposure to bike riding outside of your own community. So what I saw in magazines was like the supposed portrayal of like what bike riding is but essentially it was basically what the companies that were the industry was trying to portray bike riding as what they thought was going to sell more bikes that's what they put out there so not necessarily what it really was to most people so there was a lot of corniness that went on in the the 80s like how it was portrayed and it was just like when you're young you kind of see it and you don't really some people might be quick and smart and understand that it is corny but when you you know when I was a 13 year old kid I didn't really see it that way I'm like oh this is cool you know some yeah. dude fucking sitting on his bike with like some goofy ass like neon or whatever you know like you're just like I don't know it's just like the way the way the ads were they're just kind of kind of dumb but like you look at it and you think oh well that's that's supposed to be cool so it must be it's in a magazine but then as you get older you start realizing like oh that shit's kind of not really cool you start seeing the other levels of bike riding and different layers um for bike riding as a whole all that kind all that like corniness and goofiness and gimmicks and all that stuff it caught, caught up to bike riding and was a probably a significant factor in why it like crashed in the late 80s and into the 90s when it was like so pretty supposedly dead you know there was like no bike riding like bike riding was pretty much went super underground again you know in the 80s it was on TV all the time you'd see it uh, commercials feet having bike riding in it whatever you know magazines it was all over the place and then by then it was like the only place you saw it was like with your friends <laughs> that was it it was like BMX Plus and that was it it was hardly there was a couple little videos here and there starting to appear but that was it and then it really kind of went back to its roots as far as like what it was about like when the bike riding first started it in the 60s and 70s when kids were just riding you know dirt fields to mimic motocross um kind of went back to that like everybody that was in it was in it not for money not trying to make money not you know there was no monetary gain it was just about like enjoying riding and today I feel like and it's not trying to talk shit about anyone or anything but like you kind of see that creeping back in all that 80s goofiness gimmickry marketing to like try and make money off of stuff as the primary motivation you kind of see that trickling in again and you know I don't know I, I also see I see both sides of it but like there needs in my opinion there should be like a cutoff where it's like you either cross <laughs> there's a certain point where you cross the line where it's just goofy and gimmicky and not helping bike riding and not representing it in the best light possible so right um, maybe I rambled on a little bit no about <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to to ask you a question without throwing anyone under the bus but um, so we've got you know some different movements going on mm-hmm. we'll say yeah would you kind of classify those as kind of like the goofy yeah well I mean I feel like like the wheelie dude, dude, thing well the wheelie thing I, I don't necessarily think it's good or bad I just think it's a it's it's a if anything it's like it's pure as you can get for bike riding 
because it's just dudes going out in the streets doing wheelies. Right. You know? Like, right. There's no, what's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, people obviously capitalizing on it, which mm-hmm. is for better or worse. Mm-hmm. But that's just a group of kids and that have found something that they enjoy and that there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's, you know, some people make jokes about it. I think more so it's probably people just kind of taking offense to the fact that it's not like BMX. To, to what people define it as but it's just what people do hey sure. it's it still is BMX to some degree and right. not wrong with it that's that's what kids want to do that's what they do you know yeah. I don't yeah I don't see anything wrong with it no and a lot of people um, say if they're on bikes then that's that's all that matters yeah it's better than some kids staying home and playing video games so right I mean some people obviously there's a lot of controversy obviously we're in Philly there's yeah. been there's all kinds of controversy about that like some dudes I think it was like a like a hundred kids or something there was some rod and they went on to 676 which is a major highway and they went on and like stopped traffic and stuff and people were like the, the people are freaking out about that people that you know not have nothing like from the outside world they're looking in and seeing like oh, these kids are reckless or this or that but it's just like yeah they're doing some like kind of questionable things but it's not like they're out like shooting people or like wrecking people's property or you know what I mean or doing something that's like sure. you know essentially bad there's so many more things that could be going on that these kids could be doing that are way worse than just riding their bikes on a side of a freeway not saying that's good but i'm just saying it's like there's a lot worse things that could be happening so they shouldn't be like so hard like negatively harsh toward those kids in that to that degree that i've seen people say all right i'm going to kind of put you on the spot on this one (laughs) um no warning uh-oh. So, uh, <laughs> on the spot, what's your, problem. <laughs> like, which with your photography, which we'll yeah. talk about, there's there's a lot of street spots, um, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily see you taking photos of, for the most part, and I could be totally wrong on this, but of of landmarks or you know true private property like the front nah, of the I, I definitely building. do I, I definitely do I definitely ride stuff like that I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna in any way I just mentioned something about damaging property like to some degree I do that I participate in I shoot photos of it I'm not I'm not one to like okay. say anybody should or shouldn't do anything because I do it myself and, and, and like, I'm not I'm, saying you should or shoot I just yeah, wanted your I, plenty of like public yeah I mean there's public there's pools I ride that are public property that I shouldn't be in I get kicked out whatever you know ledges whatever like I, to me it's open season whatever like I don't I'm not I'm yeah. not one to say what people should or shouldn't do sure I, outside of like smashing people's windows or something you know? yeah, like that's, right right that, I that might I be uh, I got it I mean going it, a little too far but I mean obviously there's like different de- degrees of that like where's the cutoff but I don't know I, I, it's hard for me to comment on that because yeah I, from both a photographic perspective and uh Right. Riding perspective, personal right. riding perspective. <laughs> sure. And, you know, as far as I can tell, you're talking about peg damage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, so that's tire tire marks aren't really doing anything no. to something other than maybe some, you have to repaint something. So I, I, I never have a problem with peg marks right. can do damage. But like I said, it comes back to, you know, if kids are doing that, grinding some ledge, maybe it needs to get touched up and buffed out a little bit after a time. That's a lot better than the dude, some kids going and taking pills or something, you know? Sure. Like there's, there's so many things going on, especially in yeah. Philly. That's why. That's part of the reason why I also, it, like as weird as it might sound, I part of the reason why I enjoy living here is because 
the reality of so much wild shit that goes on in some of the neighborhoods is the fact that the police understand that and as long as outside of Center City as long as you're not shooting someone or doing something significantly detrimental to society they don't care what you do uh-huh. you know like it's 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 a kind of like it's a good reflection of the way New York was in like the 70s and 80s from what right. I was heard and what right. I sort of experienced that's why I like it yeah because people understand the reality of what is real crime and what is petty crime mm-hmm. and when it's some or or petty not even petty crime but just like you know people could look at it as like you know you're defacing someone's property or something I, I don't know it's it, it, it could you could debate it all day long sure like what is what is okay and what isn't but to me the alternative is is trouble yeah there's just for, for um, some kids yeah exactly for yeah. riders and I'd guys. rather just see kids out exploring just like say we're talking about the, the wheelie kids and stuff like yeah. Hey, they're, they're, in the end of the day, they're doing something that's more positive than negative. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, I totally agree. And that agree. goes with street riding too. It's the same yeah. thing. And, and you're talking about Philly, Philly being accepting of that. I mean, yeah. look at where I mean, we for are. The most part, I'm not gonna say every part of Philly is, but yeah. like, say center. If you do some shit in Center City, people are gonna give a shit, especially cops. But oh, when outside you get of that, toward the toward the downtown, where you're talking. Well, that's yeah, that's that Center City, like where the skyline is, right? And the university area is like sure. the same thing. Like, but anywhere yeah. outside of that, most people don't care unless it's like you're riding someone's property and the dude comes out and it's like, yo, what the hell are you doing? You're like, I think right. that, which happens right. too. But right. for the most part, most people are, are fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Testament to it is this place that we're at right now, FDR. Yeah. They've completely allowed this for how many years now? Yeah, it's pretty much sanctioned by the city. Outside, like, the city doesn't put any money into FDR. Right. But they're, they're all, they're, it's allowed and it's, like, officially recognized as a skate park. Right. Which is amazing. Yeah. I don't know the details about, like, insurance or whatever, but it, it's, there, you, you drive into FDR Park, there's a sign that says skate park with an oh, arrow. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, like I said, it's, it's official. Yeah. It's on, like, a nice <laughs> it's, park it's sign. It's recognized, you know. It's just, but it's still 100% self-funded by donations and all the work is done voluntarily like right. no one gets paid by the right. city to do the build this place yep. the city is not putting a dollar into concrete it's all by the people that build it they are the ones who organize build it and get the funds for it right right and i'm sure i'll post a picture of yeah. that and it's that. a skate this is like skate oriented it's just it's a hundred percent like you know that's that's who is behind it so that's part of the reason why you know there might be a little hate toward bikes by some people but for the most part if you help build here it's cool you know right that's that's my my take on it it's like sure if i roll up and they're pouring something someone's working on something i'm not going to just start riding i'm going to help them build do what they're doing yeah no, just definitely. common courtesy you know i'm not going to say i'm like a builder here i just help those dudes build sure I'm sure it's appreciated and and gives you a pass to maybe go past nine o'clock in the morning at times. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. I mean, I'm, I'm cool with I the dude, pretty much the, the core crew of dudes that build here. There's like right. three or four of them. Mm-hmm. They're the dudes that organize it, build it, and make it happen. And right. I'm cool with them. I do what like I said, I do what I can to help them when I'm whenever I'm around and they're around working on stuff. So, got it. That's... But I'm not gonna say like, oh yeah bikes are cool with here go grind shit don't I don't know why people grind stuff here to begin with like there's no reason to I have pegs on my bike but I never grind anything here there's no reason to the place is built yeah. for, for carving airing and riding the place I don't know it's just to me there's no reason that's just my personal opinion but right 
but that's also when you do grind stuff you're just giving ammunition for people to hate on you for riding here right. so that's why I don't I got you yeah. <laughs> sorry I'm going no on no you're totally <laughs> totally fine but I think it's time to get into photography so I'm going to start actually with the Ted Nelson question oh yeah Ted one of the most yep. talented dudes ever with a camera well to say that I'm, I'm glad you said that because so many people say it and he needs to hear it because uh, he is man like one, one of my main one of my huge influences when I started shooting photos and, and we just heard that with Keith Terra and yeah. and we heard it with Superfly and the past podcast and yeah. people, you know, people don't know man Ted huge. Step Design yeah Step was like one of the most like ahead of its time like entities as far as like the designs the people and the people that like represented it like this yeah that was like such a great era right. of like BMX merchandise <laughs> yeah. say, you know? and, like, I, and on top of that he was <laughs> like the step base era it was like I don't yeah. know maybe it's just be, be, being nostalgic like, old dude being nostalgic about a certain time period but like uh, it, it, I, I see that parallels to that today there are certain crews and and uh, entities that 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 are this very similar to like the base step era also sure. like fat relics all that whole yeah. like era yeah. like but I was just yeah it was just such a great time period for yeah. me like what that represented sure. like those the crews the people involved and the scenes around those entities yeah no he did a great job and on top of that he yeah. he took a lot of pictures really good pictures oh yeah yeah, yeah. that yeah, just definitely. turned into gold but yeah. um so his question was, do you remember the photo that made you first say, I can do this? Not in a professional photography way, but in the early days of getting started way. Like someone else's photo? Yours, your own. On oh, my own. Your, your, the, your first photo um, that made you first say that I can do this. I never really knew like, if my photos, anyone considered my photos good. I guess the first time was when I got a photo published in a magazine. There was a, a German magazine called Freedom, and they did a New Jersey scene report. And uh, basically, um, a, number, a few people contributed photos to that. It was Brian Appio, Jeff Z, and me. I think that was everybody. Um, so that was the first time that I had just started shooting slide film. Before that, I would just shoot print film that you buy at CVS, like color print film. And that was it. I was just, that was how I was learning how to shoot photos. And uh, I just started shooting slide film, and I sent a photo of Timmy Martin doing a turndown over a, bo a box jump at Hackestown. And that got ran like a full page in the, in the Jersey scene report. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. They actually liked my photo. They actually ran it that big. And I was like, it actually looked, I, it looked similar to the photos I'd seen in other magazines. And I'm like, damn it! Like, wow, I guess I could kind of shoot photos somewhat decent enough for people to like them. So, like, that's when I really was like, trying to like, that's when that like really pushed me to like, really try to like learn more and more and more about shooting better and better photos. When was that? Approximately? 98, I think it was. Oh, 98. Okay, yeah, so pretty sure it was either 98 or 99. It was. It was right in that, that Don't Quit Your Day Job era when that yeah, video yeah. came out. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. So it was just about when racing finished up. and. Yeah, I was, I was like, still, like I said, still going to Sea Caucus mm -hmm. to, like, 
ride the track with like practice and stuff and like right, hang right. out with people. But I wasn't really. I might have even raced a few races still then, but I wasn't. I was completely out of like the national racing scene and all that. Like yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah I, I think the last year I raced nationals in '97. But so but at that point, he was picking up at that point. And yeah, I, like I, I first picked up like my own camera in '96 because I started the Zine and I was just kind of like, I'm like, well, I got, I'm starting a Zine. I need pictures for it. Yeah. I'm not going to pester other people for photos, which I kind of did. Like, Jeff Sierra was ready to shoot photos. I remember he gave me some photos for, for a couple couple of issues of the zine I did. But I was like, I, I specifically got a camera for that, just to, like, document stuff. And, uh... I can't believe I can't remember the name of your zine. Room. <laughs> R-H-E-U-M. Oh, I, all right. Because I have a don't, don't Don't feel bad. You remember. No, I, no, I, I have Probably them. five people saw the zine, maybe. And that was the people that are probably in it. I, ha- <laughs> so, I have them. Yeah, because you were one of the people that were in it. <laughs> That's why you know oh, about it. Oh, you know what you did? You did a trail spot behind my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah backyard, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I remember a lot of us were trading zines. I had a really crappy one, but yeah. um, a lot of us were trading zines. And yeah. There were some really good ones out there, and yours was done yeah. well. So, um, so well, <laughs> there's good memories, but I don't you, know if it was necessarily you, yeah fall into the category of well. <laughs> right. So, so let's keep going with photography. When did yeah. it become? Let's call it full time. When did it become really full time? Because right, well, or, I had been. Is it full time? Well, I'll get to that. But anyway, okay. At that point, like the late nineties, I was I had been I had been working a full time job by doing tile work. Um, I did that for about seven years up until two thousand, um, and I think it was the end of two thousand was when I left the job. At that point, that's when I was like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm gonna have some money saved from my from working. I'm gonna live on the savings, and I'm gonna just keep going. I'd gotten at that point. I had gotten some photos run in like Ride and maybe yeah. I think it was primarily Ride. There was like a couple photos that had popped up at that point, and I actually got a check from it. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. really weird. It was the first time I ever got paid for something that like I enjoyed doing. And before that, every right. job I had done was just like. For, well, other than being a bike messenger, I enjoyed that for the most part too. So, but oh, but man, still, there's a lot of stories with you. You were a bike messenger. <laughs> yeah, did that that was yeah. From the as soon as I graduated high school, yeah, um, I left my job of working at this fast food restaurant in the town I'd grown up in. Yeah, and started working as bike messenger in New York. I did that for like a year and a half on and off. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was when I said full on like. I love yeah. New York. I want to be a part of it as much as possible outside of cool. living there. Because I didn't... Even then, it was like seemed expensive. I was living at home. So I was like, yeah. oh, well, I'm going to pay rent. I'm just going to keep living at home. So I went to New York. And it paid well for that time period. So. Man. Yeah. Wow. I you're... have plenty of stories in that, too. Full, full, full immersion. Yeah. You're, you're going to be a part tour. For sure. Um, all right. So let's go oh, to... Oh, so you're still talking about the photography stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. we got a lot to go right. photography. Okay. Right. Um... What was your first published picture? It's that one in that Ride. The Jersey or I'm sorry, the Timmy Martin. Germ- the German. Yeah, Germany. New, the, I mean, the Freedom Magazine, New, New Jersey Scene Report, which was there was a photo of Timmy Martin. That was like my first like photo I shot on like good slide film. It was yeah. ran full page, but I had also it's funny because I submitted uh, four by six prints from like that like color print film I shot at CVS of like Ralph Sinisi and a couple other people yeah. I forget everybody that was in there but those are like the 
And there was a photo of Ralph and Timmy, I know for sure, were in there. I can't remember all the other photos, if there was any other photos. But, like, Jeff Z had some photos he had shot. Yeah. Brian Appio. That, that made up the scene right. report. Probably, like, five pages or something. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, yeah, like I said, I was, I was stunned that they used the photos. And one was a full page. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Especially at that point, too, because, like, Jeff Z had been shooting a few more uh, photos for a few, few more year, years than me. And he, he was super dialed in at that point. Right. And uh, he had some photos, and I was like, wow, I'm getting photos printed with Jeff. I'm like, that's awesome. I couldn't yeah. believe it, yeah. So he's been at it for a while, too, huh? Yeah, yeah. So he had probably started shooting photos maybe a couple years before me, a year or two before. I remember he had, like, a, he might have had a class in high school. He was shooting, I remember he had shot some photos of me that he'd given me. And uh, I also said he also gave me photos toward the zine that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I said, we lived live... real close to each other, yeah. I was just going like to ask if you Five miles close. away. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. We grew up in the same area. Yeah. Because and you, we learned, we we did like it was awesome too. Because since we're, we we were both like he was already real into photography, and then as I got into it, I got real into it, and we would like we were both both, both kind of like learning together right. to some degree. Like we like see a photo, like oh look at this photo, this photo was awesome. I was like, trying to figure out how it was shot, and then we kind of like oh I just learned this this technique. Right. You ever try this? Whatever you know, we bounce ideas off of each other and stuff. It was, it was real cool. Yeah. So definitely, definitely Z was a, a big influence wow. and help when I was starting to shoot photos. Between Jeff Z and Ryan and Vaz. Yeah. And w- which is who's really Philly. Mm-hmm. And Keith Terra on Long Island. Yeah. And then we had some Ted. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There were a lot of great photographers. Keith in, Mulligan. With, and Keith Mulligan, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, obviously, he moved out to California. Yeah, but, but he's from Long Island. Originally. So like, yeah, he, and he, his, 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 like, learning curve of shooting photos was obviously growing up in Long Island. And that a crazy scene over there. Correct. Yeah. But what lasted in this area, I mean, there's a, it's pretty close together. I mean, you were all pretty yeah, much within, two, like, three, three hours hour radius. Apart. Yeah, within, like, Yeah, yeah, there's, there's tons of them. Especially like Rod and Dig and stuff. Like yeah, but it's it's pretty cool that there. Yeah, it's awesome that to see like that. And I, it's cool too because I feel like that um, when you have that like well, I mean, it, obviously we're talking a different time period when mm-hmm. magazines and videos was like the that was the basis of media, right? So of like BMX media, um, when you have people that are skilled at it or like one of the better at better people at their their craft or whatever it's like when you have that that dynamic it really helps the scene grow even more because it gets people out there more I mean that that was a big part I think of what helped the North Jersey scene blow up was like Jeff Z you know he was filmed filmed the don't quit your day job with Bob Sherbo and then also shooting photos of a lot of dudes like you know same with Long Island too like Keith shooting the dude, photos of the dudes out there that helped get people out more. Just yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like how how much that helps the scene grow. Oh, absolutely, yeah. definitely fired people up. Yeah, I mean I can only speak for Connecticut and, and Long Island, but and and I can't even totally speak for Long Island. But yeah. I mean when when Keith would come to Connecticut, that was just huge. Yeah, 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 and, it, and it's like you know I I, said, I grew up in northeastern New Jersey. Um, like Bergen County, Passaic County area around there. And um, that was like growing up through, like I'd say, 
up until like the late 90s like not like said don't quit your day job era there was no media there no one ever came there like there was there was nothing that that existed you never saw anything from that era i mean from that area um and yeah once all like certain factors came into play especially like media wise it was insane how much it blew up even to this day it's still like such a, a strong scene now right it's like awesome to see that how things even new york city too is the same thing right like there was no one hardly any coverage of new york city throughout the mid 90s until the late 90s and then right. once there was people actually covering stuff what was going on it just it blew up gosh i want to say ted may have been one of the only ones because i think ted took took some pictures in the city back then yeah yeah I want to say he did some Banks pictures yeah yeah I could be wrong on the on the time frame I, I'm also thinking more like video wise too and actually yeah. photo wise too in like the early 2000s that's when like the street scene and everything like yeah. really like blossomed right like with Ed, Edwin and Will Tallman and yeah um, the whole Tyrone Williams all these dudes like really like established right because before that it was like I feel like the early to mid 90s you had like the Mulally crew and a couple dudes riding the city from like Brooklyn and stuff, but there wasn't really like much of a like established, well-known scene right. as it is today and was sure. in the early to mid two thousands and beyond. Right. Yeah. I just had a thought. I have to pause for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a good thought too. Oh, okay. Uh, videos. It seems like in a lot of the interviews I do you talked about the name of the video and what was it again? Don't Quit Your Day Job. Yeah, Don't Quit yeah. Your Day Job. A lot of people talk about videos and it's funny because they're almost used as as uh, like markers of, of years gone by. Yeah, so. I mean, but it's basically, it's like videos do literally are documenting an era or time period of probably a scene. I mean, this is non- Basically, I'm talking more about like scene-based like scene videos, not necessarily like a company video. Because a company video is more like documenting a time period of riders. I'm talking like, like Seek and Destroy. Yeah, like that was, all that's this. all like documenting. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a documentation of this one, this time period of a group of riders and their progression or whatever. Like, and what they're riding, everything. It's, just, it's, it's, it's really, it's like a, yeah, it's, a, it's a, basically a benchmark of like what happened during that time. Much I mean, I, I and yeah. I, I before when I started riding, that really didn't exist. There was there really wasn't any videos outside of like some goofy videos made by a couple companies in the mid '80s. Toward the end, the first video that really I saw that happen was is one of the first re like videos ever made. Not well, first like independent videos ever made was called East Underground by my friend Craig LePage, and it was pretty much the same thing. It was it was an hour long v VHS video that was like basically around where I grew up it was a scene it was a video all the stuff filmed around where I grew up um and I was like wow this is awesome you know like I still like refer like in my mind I can refer back to that as like that time period of like the, the sure. late 80s because it came out like 89 I think right around yeah I think, yeah and um then on it's like every for every person it's different like those like those uh markers of like time but you can you can you use videos as like a, a definitive marker for like various time 
bike periods throughout your life, <laughs> yeah. or riding life at least, you know. Even the West Coast videos, yeah. even all those SM yeah, yeah. videos, yeah, yeah. And, and all, all that. that. Yeah, it's and it's interesting too because I don't know. That's that's. I would say it's almost getting it was getting lost for a couple of years, but I feel like that there's a resurgence of that, like the independent videos coming out. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like that. That's still around, which is cool to see. Oh, and how could I forget Steve Crandall, yeah. FBM? Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. putting out yeah. the videos. All, all, the, all those FBM videos, man. Like yeah. I mean, that incredible. covers an era, you know, in the multiple beginning. Multiple eras, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, multiple eras, but yeah. definitely in the in the 90s for sure. Yeah. Late 80s, 90s. I think mostly 90s when they really started to come on, right? Yeah. For them, but, but uh, that's good stuff. So, oh, before we jump into more... Did you buy a, an I Hate Tara t-shirt or an I Love t- a Tara t-shirt? Did you buy either of them? <laughs> no, I didn't buy either one, but I probably would have bought a I Love Tara. Yeah, I always liked Tara. I never, I was never a hater. But no, actually, I should have bought a I Hate Tara just for <laughs> That would have been funny. That would have been more funny than I, I think after the last interview, I think they're, they're, I think Soups is doing a rerun. He should, oh, he needs to. If he, if he does a rerun, I'm definitely buying the I, I Hate Tara t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I think he wants to be hated. I, yeah. I think, in the most loving way. Yeah, his podcast was great. <laughs> no, he he was awesome. He yeah. it was a great yeah, podcast. He had some, some good stories in there. Yeah, definitely. The terror man. He got gotta give a shout out to him, man. He really, um, in the early two thousands, when I was kind of like floating around, didn't really have a place to live. Um, I actually ended up staying at his girlfriend's house in Greenpoint, Brooklyn on and off for like six months and uh-huh. when Tara was there he had like a little darkroom setup he would he would put up put in his uh in the bathroom there and that's when I really learned how to like make proper prints from black and white negatives and all thanks to him yeah he really helped me a ton with that like it showed me a lot of tricks and techniques yeah. all and these things that easy. people don't know yeah <laughs> All the stuff that goes on where people are so much more intertwined than people realize, but yeah. that's why I love doing these because there's so many connections that people don't realize. Yeah. So that's that's pretty awesome. And his preference was black and white, I believe, when he was asked that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Which, definitely naturally you yeah. had more control over it, right? Yeah. It was black and white. It's just it's just a different. It's like a different way of looking at things mm-hmm. as far as like how photos come out. Like it's just yeah, some things look great in black and white, and some things look better in color, but right. depending on the scenario. But Keith definitely got it, got it down with the, the black and white photo. Man. Yeah, I'm going to go to a more generic question. This one's going to be sure. a, a little tough to break down on the spot, but what percentage of coverage do you put into street, dirt, and park? Um, For your photography, I should say. Oh, uh, I couldn't really say there's a specific percentage because I... I shoot various people all the time so it's not I wouldn't say there's one category it's more like where I am more so than uh, is, it, is it based on events or do you pick a spot nah just definitely, to go? definitely not okay. I mean well, your pictures aren't event related anyway nah, right? no, for the most part lamps. no yeah for the most part no I'm just kind of out and about I, I, I mean I, I have shot events and I do sometimes shoot events but that's not really like what I focus on doing sure no pun intended. But, right, right, um, right. Um, I'd say it's majority street, like street riding based photos, mm-hmm. then trails and occasionally parks. 
got it. That's probably it. And I have to ask you, because you know I'm a huge fan of your lighting. Huh. Do you do you prefer to shoot at night? Or at least at dusk? Yeah, I'd say night. It, if you if you saw the the chat meeting chapter three. Yes. That's to me is like my favorite overall way of shooting photos because it's you have it's basically you literally have a blank canvas and you can make everything look exactly the way you want it to look. God. And I like that. And I love the issue, and that's the one I gave away to <laughs> because the woman is awesome. She's a photographer from the from the Midwest, and she moved out to Bethlehem, and you met her at the Ghetto yeah. Jam. Yeah. Uh, Tasha Lindman, TJL yeah. Photo. So uh, I knew she would love it as much as me, and she'd appreciate it as much as me. So she actually has that well, thanks tradition for and generosity, and always yeah. supporting everything oh, I've totally. done with the Maintain series so far. It's greatly appreciated. Totally. It's just every time I do this, as I have to ask you if you're going to make yeah. more. <laughs> there, there, there is a chance I'm going to do like a second edition of that, but yeah, no, no promises. No, it's got to be difficult on the printing end, and this wasn't one of the questions I, I, I was originally just, I was just planned, so but. happy that it sold out like that was that was yeah. amazing I mean what, yeah, what so. kind of commitments are you talking on the printing just small when runs, you put a couple something hundred, out yeah just a couple hundred but like, you're committed to if you're going to print to make any money at all you've got to do 200 it's not even like to make any money I just want to make sure I'm going to they're going to sell <laughs> I, well, I don't want to get stuck like well, I mean, ma- cover, make, I mean, make a, a huge ba- yeah make a huge bash and then like yeah get stuck with a thousand in my in my bedroom yeah yeah <laughs> no i got no it. yeah yeah usually I, I feel at this point i have it down enough where the batch i make the costs are going to be covered regardless just through the shops that carry it and all the people individually that support it too i feel yeah. like it's it's i'm, I'm going to be guaranteed covered for that yeah. for what the amounts that i do there's like seven just a couple hundred yeah. shots so it definitely seems like shops are supporting whether it's mail order or just uh, yeah. I mean, I have small shops. Yeah, I the I have a kind of a little network now with a couple key shops and mail orders and uh, yeah, it's awesome. Like between Empire, you know, Teen and Tom always support it 100. percent um, I, I don't want to go through all the shop nicks. I know sure. I'm gonna forget sure. I'm, forget shops, and I don't want to forget anyone because they're all like. So just the fact that they they carry one copy, it's it's amazing. And mm-hmm. I greatly appreciate it. Sure. And um, and it's just cool to see like a couple key hubs forming of uh, independent, you know, zines, media, DVDs that are kind of getting out there, like like Central Library in the UK and in '90s. It's like that's really cool to see too. And it's like that they carry the stuff also. That's awesome. I know Keith and I talked about uh, just the, the, kind of getting back to, to print form of media and how important it is, and and it's it's good news that I'm seeing more and more of it lately. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny, like you know, it's the same thing, like kind of like full circle, you know. Like I remember in the early '90s, there was no magazines, and people were kind of doing the same thing. People were starting their own zines, whatever, doing yeah. whatever. Um, now that there's no magazines and only a couple key companies doing full-length videos and not just throwing it online, making something that's like you have to kind of strive and to get. You can't just like do a few clicks and get it online. Right. Um, uh, sorry, where I was going with that. I'm about to start over. 
No, that's right. We, I mean, we were we were talking about media in general, but oh, how yeah, important yeah, yeah. it is that there's it, when, more of it out there now than there used yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like that it was coming full circle. Like the '90s, there were really wasn't any magazine outside of BMX Plus, so people were starting their own zines. Sure. There was already independent videos really coming into their own. Um, up until a few years ago, you know, there was there were a number of established magazines. They're pretty much all gone. Um, now people are going back to like making their own zines, making full-length videos. Um, it's just yeah, it's real cool to see. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy about it because I I don't spend a lot of time on the computer. Most most time is is on the smartphone. So for me to have something in print is is huge. Yeah, and and obviously. You know, I feel like there's this, like, attachment to, like, the DVD format. I don't necessarily think it's the DVD format itself is what is important. It's the full-length video aspect is what's important. That's why, like, you know, with me, me, that 2.5 video I, I come out with, I offered it both as a DVD and as a digital download. Digital, digital download, obviously, you know, you don't just click on it and get it. you got to pay for it, but... Right. You can still watch it on your TV easily, especially with smart TVs these days. Every, all that stuff's real easy to, to access. Um, so that's just something. Like, it, but it's interesting that a lot of people really seem to like. I, I've sold way more DVD scene combos than I have digital download scene combos for whatever reason. I guess oh, maybe it's just okay. like kind of like that that Tangible. niche market that people are look are into. Like that. That's what they want. I think people want something tangible that they can yeah. that they can put into a shoebox and then bring up later on, yeah, you know, yeah. ten years later. And I, I'm like that too. I mean, I really enjoy that. Yeah, that aspect of media. Yeah, I could um, I could definitely see how and why that happens. Um, yeah. What was your first international trip? Um, I don't count going to Tijuana and. 96 as my first international trip that was just went down there for the day with my friend Jeff I don't count that my first real international trip was uh, 2002 I went to Argentina wow yeah that's a big first trip yeah <laughs> totally on the other hemisphere what was the purpose of that uh, I just went with uh, a few friends like it was like George Morning Brad Gethard Biggins uh, Chris Hall I think that was everyone and I had, I had met a couple dudes that had lived in Argentina that were visiting Jersey and they were like hey come down you know so like that, they'd stayed like George Horning's house and so they were just kind of like invited us to go down and then really? the next winter we were like they had, it was like it was in um, I guess the summer before that's when they were up, up here Yeah. so then that's when we were like oh let's go so yeah. we went Yeah. and it was originally I was there going to go there for I think it was like three weeks and I ended up changing my ticket and staying an extra extra week and a half or something, so it made it like a solid month. Oh, I, nice. it, was, it was such a good time down there. I'm like, I'm staying. Like, did, did you? <laughs> me end and up, George actually stayed. It was us two that stayed the extra week. Did you end up uh, photographing that? Yeah, trip? I ended I ended up photograph like doing an article and ride about Argentina and also filming a section for props. It's like props passport. Oh, I okay. If I remember right. It was definitely in Prost, but I might be a little off on that. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. I associate you always with photography, but you've done Well, you know, what's, you know what's funny is, like, 
I made a video before I ever shot photos. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> you're. I think you're in it, actually. I am? <laughs> Is that bad? Patch Hog or Sterrett's, as the local Long Islanders call it. I always call it, it's called the Patch Hog Trails, but Gosh, over, over, the, over the tabletop, I think there's a photo you're doing like a one foot X. Really? Slow-mo, of course, because the whole video, the video's like an hour long and <laughs> nine, what is it? 58 minutes of it is slow-mo or something. It's, it's horrible, like, but I would never want to show people the video, but like, it was a good, good memories once again for me personally, because oh, it documented a time period from like 89 or 88 to like 92. Where does this thing reside? Is this in the Library of Congress or what? On a VHS tape in my closet somewhere. <laughs> that has got to get pulled out. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that, man. That video is pretty, pretty bad. But for I you mean, to I, see Starrett's, you don't... Yeah, yeah ask, there's a lot ask, of Starrett's footage in there. That's like, Rob McElhinney how many yeah. times I've confused, you know, Sevs, believe it or not, old Sevs, yeah. Starrett's. Um, oh, gosh, there was so many... There were so many trails back then on Long Island that I just yeah. get so confused so yeah. someday we're going to have to have a viewing party of this oh, because <laughs> it's actually going to help with my it's funny because it goes from like there's 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 footage of like me and my friends when I was like 16 yeah. to like when I was 20 really? <laughs> yeah. oh, <laughs> like man. four years or something. I mean now I think about it it's actually not that long of a time period but to me back then obviously that's like a lifetime yeah. Like, and, yeah and a lot of these guys you're talking about an era that would have been late 80s yeah, yeah, there was late late '80s footage of like me riding these like me and my friends riding these like trails that were like our trails for a couple yeah. of years before yeah. they got plowed, and they were basically just like sandy little right. shit jumps. But like right. Adam Price is in, you know, yeah. like Price Brothers have clips in there. Oh yeah, those trails like, um, and then uh, yeah, there's like and there's another place called the Bowl, which I was like. Yeah, a localized is look the spot in but like I said, it's not, they're, just, they're just like piles of sand. Like, I'm not gonna call them right, trails, right. but you know. But you compiled over over yeah, it was over four years. Time. Yeah, four years. That's amazing. So you yeah. said Clinton and Starrett's and then your spots. Yeah. That, come on, everyone listening is gonna want to copy this now. <laughs> I don't know. About You're gonna that. have to convert it. I don't know. I'll convert it for you. I have I, it. To there's literally like I literally made like ten copies of VHS tapes. Yeah. And then, like sold like two of them. And then gave him a couple people, and then, like, that's it. <laughs> that's the only this, copies that exist. This stuff is gold nowadays. Do you understand that? I don't know if there's any gold in there. Of, uh, the only gold in there for me personally is just, like, like there's good memories of, like, yeah, yeah. my friends and me. And a couple key spots that are, like, gone now. Like, there's a spot called Hackensack Bank to Wall. Oh, yeah. Which was, like, an epic bank to wall for that time. For, like, up right. until, like, I don't know, five years ago. I think it's gone. I haven't been through there in a while, but I heard it's gone now. You can't ride it anymore. Yeah. And there's this pool in there. There's the footage of us riding it, me riding it, and my friends riding it for the first time is in there. And yeah. I still ride that pool today. I'm not going to say a name, a town name or anything because right, right. I don't, I'm not trying to blow it up. But, oh, like, right, right. but somehow, that's one of my still, if there was a list of all-time favorite spots, that you would sure be you on it. blow it up? Because I got a couple guys that I could see oh, with yeah, you. Oh, yeah, sure. And they could put a, yeah, do a yeah. vlog about it and then yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, blow yeah. it up and then we could get arrested and then they could make money on it. And that's, <laughs> 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 I, won't, I won't go there, but... That's not my place to talk I, about. I started it. My fault. <laughs> no, no, no it's funny. That, that one's not on you. That one's on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, that that VHS tape, I, I don't, I'll take a separate trip to film. Yeah, but, for it's it, in, but, but that, it just, I just love talking about that pool. The fact, I, somehow, that's like one of the longest standing pools that I've ridden, yeah. like I said, for literally 25 years. And it's, it's, it's just as good now as it, I enjoy riding it now. It's just as good or more now than ever for some reason. That's amazing. It's amazing it's still here because yeah, that, like that I said, it's amazing that happen. it's still a functional pool and I can go ride it in, in the winter. Right. 
All right, let's get into Instagram questions. Uh, right. Ted, Ted was the first one. We got we got right. that one uh, knocked out of the park. So they're kind of uh, they're all over. They're they're pretty good. I, I got some really good ones for you. So yeah, uh, let's start with an easy one. Ryan Hoey wants to know what is your go-to vegan New York City restaurant right now. See, all right. Uh, uh, disclaimer. I'm kind of out of the loop and like all the the good veggie restaurants in New York just because I haven't been going up there too much in the last few years. Sure. I used to have it on lock. I can yeah. honestly say like I knew the spots, the cheap, the, I could name like the five cheapest places to go to offhand, but most of those places are gone now. So you like, and Tara do have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I, one of my favorites right now is this place called Terry. It's at 23rd and 6th. That place has like good options. It's all vegan and yeah. food's good quality. I enjoy it. So I'd say that's probably my favorite right now but I saw this pl- a million other places like outside of Manhattan too that are like amazing well brings up see a- that, that's nothing too man there was like there was this one spot on I think it's No Strand Ave in Brooklyn yeah. there was like four spots on like one block and they were all really good these like Jamaican spots and they were amazing but like half those places are gone now just like yeah. I went through there like, the other week or not the other week it was like a month two months ago and they're yeah. like they're, they're gone now I'm just like man oh. the shit, shit changes fast man it's like, yeah. it's like riding <laughs> it's funny to say but Vegetarian restaurants parallel riding <laughs> spots. They're somewhere here today and gone tomorrow, man. It's like you gotta gotta take advantage of them while they're there. <laughs> well, because, never thought I'd compare food to both, riding, but because they're both small, the small part of the population. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the MX and it's, vegans. Yeah. It's so when when did you become a vegan? Uh, twenty one years ago. Really? That yeah. long? Yeah. That's amazing. Good for yeah. you because I think that takes so much discipline and there's such benefit because I've listened plenty about it Mm -hmm. and changed my diet pretty drastically the past couple years Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of it uh, through help from Kevin Robinson Uh Uh and uh, Alyssa Bealey they run an exercise program called Journey Journey for Wellness Mm -hmm. and they uh they kind of assist with that. It's a total freebie. It's just a free thing on Facebook, and they're not vegan, but they they make you very well aware of what you're eating. And, and I wish more and, people. And would your do awareness that. is good. It, it is. And, uh, and no matter you, how small steps you take, yeah. anything, any positive steps, good step. And it nips a lot of problems in the bud if you can get the diet correct. Yeah, it's definitely a significant factor. Yeah, at least for me, personally. Right. So, all right, this one's from Sunset Ranch. And this this one's funny because I almost feel like he was watching me at Cody's when he <laughs> when he refers to this question. But anyway, um, I'm sure this happens everywhere, so I won't take it personally. Do you get do do you get frustrated when you hunt down a red photo spot and someone is already already there with a pocket camera? <laughs> I think is that that's what happened that, that day at Cody's. <laughs> Find me. Uh, first of all, mine wasn't a pocket camera. I had, nah, a, nah, I had nah. a real camera. Nah, it wasn't, wasn't even you. I was like, posted. There was like, you were shooting for it, but you were in a different spot. And I was shooting for it. My problem was flash. I yeah. had flash going. Yeah. And you were trying to work flash. Yeah. So anyway. But I, th- I think it was like shooting an iPhone photo. And I was like, of someone else. And I was like, setting up to try to shoot a photo of Cody. And they just yeah. stand in front. I'm like, oh man. But yeah, it gets, it gets frustrating. But it's cool. I mean, hey. I don't really have any more right to an angle than anyone else does. You know? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. If you're there first, it's just, you know, yeah. your angle. <laughs> I can't get mad at someone. Right, right. <laughs> knowing, knowing Sunset, he's yeah. joking about it. But, yeah, of course. But yeah. it's, um... It's, I don't, yeah, I don't care. It's, no, it, it I is... I only get mad when, like, not mad, but frustrated when, like, 
I am set up and then someone like starts like getting in the shot or something yeah. I'm like oh, man, just, just, I'll be done in a couple minutes and then you're good you're, well you know it was perfect but other than that I don't, is, yeah, I, don't, I don't care you just communicated with me and said yeah. hey can you just shut it down for a minute yeah so no like you, you were like shot. standing right in my shot I was getting so mad no, I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> but if you didn't say anything I wouldn't have known yeah. like I told you my son knew because he's like dad there's a real photographer behind you you really nah, but, need but, to get but, out of but the way. You were, but you were already there. Like I said, there, there's that etiquette too. Like if someone's there shooting a photo, you can't just walk up and tell someone. Yeah, but I'm nobody. Like, I was just taking it, pictures it, of guys. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. You still, you when you're I, done, you're done. Then I, then yeah. I, then I, then I can say like, all right, you're done. I'm just gonna shoot this photo. I hear it's you, cool. but I think you're being far too nice. When you've got an established photographer, I, yeah. I no, think, no one has any more rights than anyone else. That's doesn't right. matter who, how many let's, years you let's have. Let's agree to disagree on this one. You're you're way too nice. I I would have said. Listen, I'm sure listen, amateur. I need to get this done. <laughs> you know. Instead, I end up posting a picture that that Protec used in an ad. After. Really? Yeah, they did. <laughs> they they uh, didn't know where the picture came from, but that was alright. <laughs> so it could have been from you anyway. <laughs> but they ended up using. They reposted one of Clint's, the picture that I posted of Clint, right. which was the same one you took. Which yours is probably ten times better, but. That's what they had access to, so yeah, they yeah. just screenshot it or whatever and, yeah, yeah. and use it. But it's fun because you know as well as me finding the right angle. You know way better than I do. Finding the right angle is so much fun yeah. because when you go back and look at it, you're like, well, nowadays you can look at it right away. Yeah. But you're like, oh my god, they came out so cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, it is fun, but it's a funny point that he made. Yeah. All right, so this one's from Butterlegs. I have no idea what Butterlegs is, but um, it's maybe you, maybe you do and don't want to admit it. I don't, I don't know. But Butterlegs wants to know what is your all-time favorite DIY spot? All-time favorite DIY. And spot. we're only covering the entire world, so don't feel any pressure. Yeah. <laughs> well, DIY spot is different than like a natural spot. So, um, if you're going along the routes of DIY spots. At. There you go, FDR. <laughs> yeah, this is hands down my favorite, and yeah. it's a combination of like living nearby and being able to ride this place. Yeah, for ten years regularly. Yeah, that's what it, makes it. That's what any any place like can ride repeatedly over and over again and really learn how to ride something. Mm -hmm. That become quickly becomes like one of my favorite spots. Right. <laughs> no matter what it is, whether yeah. it's a manual pad or curb cut or something by my house. Right. Yeah. Right. But this is obviously FDR. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple yep. levels over a curb cut. This is, yeah, sure. so true. Hard to believe this is DIY, but you look at it yeah, and this it's is 100%. absolute DIY. It's, it's amazing. This is not poured, you know. Yeah, no, no government's back in this thing. No. So, another one. This one's from Rob. His Instagram handle is... More butter. Okay, butter, okay. Okay, butter, okay. All right, so traveling around the globe, could you tell that non-commercial or sponsorless BMX is still strong? And then I added, basically, are you still finding raw and pure BMX passion as you travel the globe? Oh, yeah. I, I believe that's what he's trying to say. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, 100%. If I'm wrong, yeah, 100%. I'm wrong. It, it exists just as much now as it has any, any other point that I've, I've been riding. Um, it's just... Just, it's all about who you're around and who you're riding with. Is there a place that you find it more than others? Um, as like an overall 
like perspective I'd say anywhere that's detached from like the industry aspect of bike riding usually that's where you see it where there's like you're in an area or or a region that's just like well there's no shot I'm ever going to get sponsored no shot I'm ever going to get money or anything from riding but I still ride right that general mentality exists in multiple places throughout the world and those are good examples it exists obviously in the US too but I I feel like there's some areas of generation not even say, say generation but just like groups of riders who maybe get exposed to certain aspects of riding that get a different perspective on that and then right. start riding for not necessarily the, the best reasons you could right. sure <laughs> or understand. continue to ride yeah all right so here's a question from a guy that i, I just met on instagram kudalu is his instagram name he's from singapore uh-huh. singapore yeah. uh very clean city <laughs> If not, then you end up in a lot of trouble <laughs> if you make it dirty. Uh, what was your worst setback in BMX in the BMX industry? How did you manage to overcome it? In the industry? Uh, worst setback. This might take a pause. That's okay. Okay. That's a tough one because... Worst setback in industry. What do you perceive as a setback? I know. That's, what, that's a hard one to define. Has anything ever happened that, that made you think, okay, I think I better get back to uh, to working a, a regular I mean, I kind of I mean, it's part-time. I mean, do work regular jobs too now. So. Um, oh, so you're not like Cody and all these other guys that just dig all day long and, <laughs> I wish and I don't work at all? Yeah. I Which is I a would. joke, of course, because yeah, yeah. everybody's working. Yeah, yeah. Let's dispel that rumor right now. Everybody's working. Um, all right. Okay, so wait, read the question again and then I'll answer it. What was your worst setback in the BMX industry? How did you manage it and overcome it? Um, it's a tough one to define as far as like setback and in industry. I'm guessing he must be referring to like being employed or getting paid to be in the industry. If that's what he's referring to, I'd say. The only real setback is when I went from, along those lines at least, the only real setback in as far as like industry-wise, I would say is in three years ago when I went from having two basically full-time jobs simultaneously to having sort of a part-time job in the industry. So, and that's where I had to like start looking elsewhere to cover my living expenses right yeah that's pretty much it's good enough yeah so, but, but just, I wouldn't look at it as an overall it's not really a setback it's just a transition sure I don't look at it as like a negative that's just how right. life goes and if right. you don't adapt and have issues <laughs> I think adapt is the key word I think people yeah. always find a way to make enough money to survive and, yeah. and you know you do what you and have it's, to do to me it's funny because like there's a new issue with date coming out and uh I guess it's based... I haven't seen the issue a as a whole. Issue? Yeah. <laughs> it's 99.7. Okay. Uh, There's a six? I'm missing six? Yeah. Because I've I got 99.5 exactly yeah, on, my, on my lap here. I forget exactly what was uh, 99.6. But uh, there's a not, it's going to be like this issue. That print is dead issue. Okay. Um, like a regular magazine um but i think it's based around photography and there's interviews with a bunch of photographers that 
have been involved in DIG, and I would basically talk about, you know, one of the questions was about related to what I do, mm-hmm. income wise and stuff. How do I stay involved with bike riding or BMX time between all that? Sure. Yeah. So like I, you know, basically that was a, could be looked at as a setback in the sense that I went from that from photography being my full time job to being my part time job, and I do other stuff to cover my living expenses outside of photography and bike riding. And that's because of the transition from print to digital media? Yeah, it's just how the, the media industry evolved. From a, from a photographer's perspective, it's changed so drastically in the last five years mm-hmm. where it went from you know multiple people being employed full-time as photographers or editors or just in the media end of it to like only a couple. Sure. So, um, yeah. So that's... Good. All right, now to some funny stuff. This one's anonymous. Who fell asleep working under your car and where? <laughs> that's got to be true. That's got to be one of uh... Hey, I didn't say it was true. I said anonymous sent it's this. It's definitely Mr. Cannon at a race in Ohio in like 93, I think. Um, my water pump went on my 91 Dodge Daytona, and I'm not very mechanically inclined when it comes to changing significant parts of... Of uh, automobile engine parts, so Chris Cannon, our uh, Chris Cannon, Mr. Cannon, <laughs> yeah. is a wizard with everything, obviously. Right. And he's like, yeah, I could fix it. Right. So, and that that was funny too because that was one of those goofy, stupid trips for me. Not stupid, but just like not very wise trips for me. Where like it was a race Saturday right. and Sunday. Right. I was working a job full time, so I left Friday after I got out of work. Drove right. overnight, got there Saturday morning, raced, slept on Sunday. Oh. That's when my water pump went. So, yeah. and I had to be back at work the next morning at 6 a.m. I've done that many and times. And so, after the race, you know, Mr. Cannon's like, ah, I think I could fix it. So, he yeah, spent yeah. a couple hours fixing it. I think he took a nap at one point. <laughs> <laughs> By the time he got it fixed, it was like uh, 8 p.m., I guess. And it was a 10-hour drive. So I hammered it out, and you got, got home there. at like 5.55, <laughs> went to work. I was, but this was a solo trip, I might add. Like I went by myself. Oh my God. So yeah, I just basically didn't sleep that weekend. Oh. Not very smart. Wow. But <laughs> Not very it. wise. But yeah, I made it, made it to work for an $8 an hour job. Why I did that, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Not something I would do today. No. Hey, let's keep, the, let's keep the car thing going. Good, good uh, that was a, that's a good memory. I almost forgot about the fact that Mr. Cannonfield took a nap. Yeah, and he was probably thought to be dead at one point. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but he did it, and I can't thank him enough to this day. Like that, that would have made life more no. difficult if he didn't change that for me, no. and a lot more costly. He basically, yeah. I think, probably did it for free. I'm sure. Oh, or I tried yeah. to get money, he probably didn't take it. Just, no doubt. Yeah. Him and Mr. Poole, they were the best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so this one's from Adam Price, staying on the car theme. How many bikes fit in your Skylark headed to Long Island or Egg Harbor? <laughs> and then he, just a comment, super pumped on what Rob has done for BMX. Yeah, well, well, like I said, going back to Adam and his brother Jesse, there were like two dudes I rode with a whole bunch in that time. And, and it's funny, too, because Adam also, like, I remember him putting pegs on his bike, and that was kind of like, oh, maybe I should start doing that again. Because I, mean, I did ride pegs in, like, 84, but they were, like, the little Skyway oh. flatland pegs. I didn't, no one gr- grinded anything back then. They weren't made, for, they weren't for grinding. The they little hex ones up. that were yeah, they're like, like a half Yeah, they were horrible. Like, they hurt your feet. Like, why would you even stand on them? But that's what they were for. Like, 
they of course, were only, another gimmick by like companies. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> they were only supposed but, to be used to bring someone to the 7-Eleven on the back of your bike. Even then, it was still hard. They were the size, literally the size of axle because bolts. Because they were they screwing were, onto like three eight axles. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they're horrible. Like they were. Right. They, just, no, nothing comfortable about them in any way, shape, or form. I think I have a pair at home, yeah. by the way. <laughs> oh, you do, man. I might, I might have to get, get one off. Just kidding. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll, try them out we'll grind this place See if up. See grind, them. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, let's grind some coping at uh, FDR with them. <laughs> right, right. Just make sure there's <laughs> make shavings sure you do, of uh, metal four all foot over the Four-foot ice pick stalls. <laughs> um, so how many bikes? While Carlos is watching. Yeah, right. <laughs> Carlos is the OG dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> he would love that. Oh, God. Next thing, a fucking forty would be flying past your head. <laughs> um, so, all right, so back to the car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's a number of times it was packed five deep, but basically it was a '72 Buick Skylark. It was my first car. Had a big bench seat in the front, in the back. There were plenty of times I had maxed it out with three in the front, including me, and four in the back, in the back seat, seven bikes deep, oh sticking out of the trunk. <laughs> And basically doing wow. like, and I would never drive under 80 miles an hour, so I'd be doing like 95 with the fully loaded car. Not safe. <laughs> wow. And another story about that is pretty funny. Oh, to me at least. Yeah. Was uh, when I my, got my, that was my first car. Yeah. I had gotten a license, my license, you know, whatever. I had only, but when I got my first car, the Buick Skylark, I had only driven... The only times I had actually driven was yeah. like to get my driver's license. I didn't know how to really drive essentially on a highway or anything. Uh-huh. So the yeah. moment I got my car, I drew the, that that day. I drove to Connecticut for some race in Connecticut in uh, <laughs> at Trumbull. It was like a national there, yeah. and I went with uh, my friend Ben Tisdale, who was like I think he's originally from Texas, and he lived in New York City at the time. Yeah. So I picked him up. Yeah. And we drove, and like I said, this is my basically my first time driving. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm driving this big ass Buick Skylark with a three. It's like a three fifty or something. It's yeah. all over the road. I'm driving down the Merritt Parkway. You know, it's too late. Yeah, yeah. I made it there, and then I think I broke my wrist that that weekend or something. And so Ben drove back. But after he drove me back, he's like, "Hey, yeah, like when you were driving there." I was reading a magazine the whole time. I was looking down because I was too scared to look up because of the way you were driving. I must have been such a mess. Like, I'm just like all over the place trying to figure out how to drive on a highway. I'll be doing like 80. Oh, <laughs> it was bad. Like, so he was actually happy you broke your wrist. Yeah, he was probably happy that he got to drive home. He's like, yes, I don't have to fucking be scared shitless the whole way home again. <laughs> Can actually make it home in one piece now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you've obviously gotten yeah, better, was, sort of. I don't see too many dents in your car, but you know you're getting. Yeah, better. that's that's the re- that was the that, the dents in my car is the the residual of leaving it parked on Philly Street. So oh, okay, <laughs> most of those dents at least. Oh, okay. Look, I, th- I think I've improved in driving. Some people probably disagree, <laughs> but I hope I didn't after driving for thirty years. I was going to say, yeah, you you've had a couple years to practice. Yeah, or twenty five, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> okay, so I've got two more questions. Oh, and one more quick story about. Well, go ahead. Uh, about the the Skylark, so yeah. like I said, uh, Adam and Jesse lived it on in Washington Heights, and that was my first. Obviously, that was my first car, that Buick Skylark, and parking in New York City and all the things involved. That so I remember one night parking in New York City, staying at Adam and Jesse's house, coming out the next morning to my car, yeah. turning the key, and there's no nothing going on. I'm like, oh, what the hell? What's wrong? My battery must be dead. I pop the hood, battery's gone. <laughs> you need it. Uh, that's why I learned quickly. You need hood locks in New York City. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. You know, yeah, another learning experience about that was the, that was the 
the learning curve of, of the New York City life and what goes on there, especially yeah. back then. Every nothing, then. nothing, everything is, is uh, open season. Right. You leave your car doors open, people are going to rifle through your shit, take what they want. Um, you, leave, <laughs> you, leave your, you, you lock your doors, leave, don't have a way to lock your hood, right. your battery's going to be gone. Right. <laughs> and maybe spark plugs. Man. <laughs> Anything that's, that's removable might be gone. By the way, I'm slightly distracted because there's a photo shoot going on of a kid sitting on a pile of rubble, like in a war zone, and his girlfriend taking pictures of me. He's posing. Welcome to FDR. On, on a skateboard, <laughs> sitting on a skateboard. Yep. Oh, all right. FDR well, nonsense. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure maybe it's a Christmas card. I don't know. Maybe it's gonna be something. <laughs> yeah, he's in a T-shirt and it's 35 out. Yeah. Right. Um, all right, so this one's from Evan Smedley, who I would imagine you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, so he, a couple of these questions right. would be understood more by a photographer, but I'm going to throw them out there because uh, lots of photographers are going to listen to this. What is your favorite f-stop? Uh, with flash, it's usually around 5.6 to f8, and without, uh, as open as it can be. All right, I'm taking notes because right. I don't know what the <laughs> hell I'm doing. Okay, what is your favorite Grimaldo quote? Man, they're countless. Any, uh, Anals is obviously the one he says everywhere. Um, but basically, if you know Grimaldo and his, uh, his way his mind works, he has these like crazy metaphors for everything he sees. It's like like when he has missed a rail and the peg hits the hits the rail and makes a dinging sound he's like it's like a doorbell like you just have to like listen to his his metaphors any of those quotes is unbelievable they're priceless i can listen to his metaphors anytime and start laughing instantly it's like they're the best yeah you just have to live it to understand it i can no way in any way like recreate how he says them or does yeah or what he says it's just it's it, it has to be lived to fully experience it he sounds quick yeah he's the best good thinker yeah. Him and his son George, I got a shout out to him. Yeah, these local Funniest guys. Dudes to hang out. They live in Jersey. Yeah. Jersey, yeah. yeah, just outside of Newark. Got it. Yeah, so they have a split part in that, that video I, I made. The two point five. Oh, okay. father and son split part. Oh, yeah. The one I'm gonna watch. Yeah. Because I have, I, I bought it and I have the coat. So I got to watch it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, if it, here's another one from Evan. There's three more. Yeah. If the company were to. Would, if a company would float the bill to shoot film, would you shoot film or stay digital? Film? I mean, I'd probably shoot digital too, but I'd definitely shoot a lot more film when it's economically feasible. Well, you're saying someone else is going to pay for it. I'm saying, well, definitely. I'll shoot all film. film. All right. I'll burn through 50 rolls. All right. Someone else paying for it. Hell yeah. And you know, someone else has a question here that is. Huh, I don't see it, and I apologize to whoever sent it, but there's a good question. Do you remember the question at all? I can try I, I like, definitely remember the question. I'm just uh, looking to give credit to the person that uh, that wrote it, but um, I don't see it. Oh, no, here it is. It's also Evan. What is the most rolls of film you ever used to shoot a trick? Well, that would be sequences, and... got to be close to 10 I'd say and that 10 rolls yeah I mean that's nothing compared to what I've heard other people shooting in the film days when it was before this was before digital cameras sure. were came into play 
Um, that was partly, I had a limit. I would be like, I'd shoot, try shooting a trick for up to like, say eight rolls and that would be it. I'd be like, that's it. But I would also, at that time too, I was hand rolling my film. Yeah. Like I would buy like a hundred feet of film and then yeah. like hand roll each, each canister of film. So yeah. it kind of cut down the cost instead of buying. So it didn't cost, but I was still at that point, I think I was um, primarily freelance. I was paying for, I didn't have a budget for film or anything like that, so I was paying for all of it. So I'll be like, whatever I can do to like yeah, yeah. get the trick, but not cost an arm and a leg to get it. Right. That's what I would do. Right. But that was pretty much, yeah, I would say there was a couple of tricks, I think, where I was trying to shoot and I went up to like seven or eight rolls and I'm like, uh, it's like, I don't think I could shoot it anymore. And then that was, and shut it down. But uh, that was literally only like twice that might have happened. And other times the person would end up pulling it. But I also have certain tricks too where I would do where I would like shoot the first part of the trick. Right. And then just try and shoot the last part right. when he was pulling it. Yeah. And then, because a lot of times, sometimes it was like a two-part trick. So someone would like get out to something weird and fall off right away. So I'd capture the one where he almost got through it. And then yeah. just wait for the last few frames or try right. to capture that too. I had all these weird like goofy things that I would try and do to minimize film waste <laughs> right right I but you. yeah i'd say i'd say the maximum was under 10 wow that's yeah. unbelievable but like i said i've heard of like other dudes not necessarily in bike riding you know some people in bike riding too but like skating too they'd shoot like 20 rolls or more because skating was even more technical back then compared i mean it was it's on par with what a lot of some of the technical street riders are doing today but back then skating was like that completely you know right so people yeah shoot 20 rolls or more for one trick Wow. Yeah. Okay, his last question, Evan's last question is E6 or C41? Oh, man. That's a... I don't know what that is, so you're going to have to explain. Uh, it's film processes. E6 is for slide film, tra uh, slide transparency film. Okay. And C41 is for print film. Um, I was always partial to E6, I'd say. I think I still am. I'll say E6. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Easy one. All right. Last question. This is a really good one. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to think about this. Right. We're gonna have to edit out a five minute pause. Uh -oh. <laughs> I guarantee it. All right. So dead is the new fun. Who is also known as Seth Medeiros, who is a digger with Cody Diggs. Yeah. And who is a I call of uh, maintain series. He's I appreciate him too oh. for supporting. Yeah, right. He's bought great. a few things. Seth's a great dude, and we also call him See Them because he looks exactly like. Ethan from Long Island. Right. He, he and uh, Ethan are twins. <laughs> so we call him Seathen, or I do anyway. It's probably getting old by now. But Seth Medeiros. Um, his question is really awesome. If you could pick five riders from any place or time to go on a trip with you slash shoot, who and where would you go? All right. uh, this is tough. Yeah, that's a one that requires Just, some thought. Um, Alright, I'm going strictly on the enjoyment I've had traveling with people. Mm -hmm. And of course, obviously, they're, they're amazing bike riders. Too, right. so like, but that's more so the the qualification, I'd say, of like why they would make sure. the list. Yeah, yeah. Um, start with five people. Let me think about this. I, can, I might go over, I might say like six or seven. That's fine. Don't All worry right. about it. Alright. There's no rules with these. All right. <laughs> um, Not yet. Garrett Burns, Bob Sherbo, Mike Tag, Zach Costa, 
fifth. Uh, I'm gonna miss people I know for sure. Jersey. Uh, man, I'm going blank now. Man. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's so many people I can name. I'll, I'll start over. Let me let me think about this. Shit. All right, I'll start over. Just give me, give right. me a minute to like get those, okay. my thoughts together. And the place too, don't forget. But that's a separate. Yeah. That's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> okay. Look at the guy with the number plate. He just got done racing. Oh, here, all right, I got it. I got it. All right. Okay. Bob, let's see. Bob, Zach, Garrett, Tag, and Hennessy. All right. That, that's five. All right. So basically, here's five people, more so off the top of my head than like a definitive list. Sure. But people that I've enjoyed traveling with, and they're also obviously amazing bike riders. Um, Let's see. It might be six people. Uh, Eric Hennessy, uh, Garrett Burns, Bob Sherbo, Mike Tag, Zach Costa, and Butcher. Kowalski? Yeah. Ah, got it. Yeah. Nice. That, that's, a, that's six people, but so that's you, like off the top of my head. But I, so you get your six. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah. Right. So your sixth person is piloting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so where would you go? See, that is... I couldn't narrow it down to one place because I have this extensive list at home of places I need to go to. It would be one of those places. Can you reveal? No. <laughs> I don't want everybody else going to Damn. <laughs> Are they in the United States? Once? No. There, it, it's definitely... In, one key place is in Asia. It's in the world. And okay. I'm definitely going there, hopefully in the next year. Yeah. Just because of... The architecture there is unbelievable. Yeah. And a friend of mine who is actually has clips in maintain 2.5 just moved there. And I already knew there was some really cool stuff to ride there. But yeah. the stuff he sends me or has posted is ridiculous. So yeah. I need to go there. That's a place that just stands out the most right now, riding-wise. Right. Right. And there's plenty of other places, too, I'd want to go to just for, like, the riding community that's there. Mm -hmm beyond just the riding spots but that's like the one place in particular I'm thinking about right now is like I'm really trying to get to in the next year got it but I can't reveal where because I don't want everybody else to be like oh I need to go there now too no, so that's alright hey, you, you can find so, out in the next video I do in the next zine I do and you'll see you'll see where it is alright cool <laughs> to totally okay totally yeah. understood yeah. not that I mean people have been there before it's not like it's a new place but right. I just know there's so much more there than I thought so right. I, that's why I need to go. And it's like that a friend of mine's living there, so like that makes it even better. Yeah. I, obviously, most of the places I go to, it's because I have friends that live there sure. that I'm staying with. And sure. They're and they have like you know there's there's some kind of community there that that's what always makes it the best possible experience for me. Got it. And so these are all street spots. Yeah. Got it. So. Okay. So now I've got the pause I have to edit out. Um, so we're going to wrap this up. But what I'd like to know from you quickly is, or slowly, how many countries have you been to? Do you have an idea? Uh, you count? I couldn't count off the top of my head. I have to go home and <laughs> go through uh, the currency I have. That would tell me where I've been. Oh, you save I save like a, place. yeah, usually like a one bill or something. That right. usually keeps it 
keeps me like it's a little that's my version of like saving sure. a souvenir beyond photos I take right that's pretty much the only thing I really take from or keep from as a souvenir from right. the places I go right I want to say like 30-ish give or take one or two it's probably like 30 to 32 I'd say it's pretty close yeah it's pretty impressive yeah but this the list that of places I need to go to are another hundred <laughs> so you've got a bucket list of another hundred yeah, I won't say not a hundred, but like, yeah. I mean, I'll go anywhere, but like specific places that I know, I'm like, I want to go to from a riding perspective and a visiting perspective, or like just, yeah, from more so from a riding perspective. There's there's a few dozen at least. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with pictures? Like when I ran into you at Cody's, what do you do with pictures from from there? Are those for? Possible material for um, future zines. And... It'll probably just sit on my hard drive for 15 years, and then no one's ever going to see it. And then the hard drive will break, and then it'll never ever get seen again. It's the same with like film photos. There's, I have yeah. like a folders of of uh, film fo- film like slides and negatives that have never been seen, and I possibility they'll never be seen. Right, right. <laughs> but, no, I mean usually like the photos, like there's photos I shot of. Like Cody and, and Clint at that jam, yeah, they they probably have a home at some point. Mm-hmm. I think one there's one actually does have a home in the next. Well, I don't want to say when, but yeah, right, right. I don't want to blow it up, but I got you. That there's one of Cody that definitely has a home. The others they might have a home somewhere yeah. at some point. I'm sure I'll, I'll use them somewhere. That's but, cool. Yeah, but I so just, there's plenty. There's plenty that slip through the cracks and never get seen. I just, and I get shit from people too sometimes. Like, <laughs> when did you do that photo? Let me send it to me. Whatever you know, like it never happens. Like Bob Sherbo is one example. Like. He's always bothering me, like, oh, what about that photo we shot in 2002? Where is it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't even, I have it probably, but you're probably never going to see it because right. I'm never going to scan it. Right. <laughs> I think there's a few people with the same problem that you, that you, you know, it's a, I would imagine there's, there's a lot of that going on <laughs> because you take, you probably take so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah just. Even if you weed through but the it's, bad ones. It's, it's more so, I mean, digital makes it way easier to find. You yeah. just label a file and you can pull it up real easy. Right. But with film, I'm like, I've never been super organized with all my photos. The organization happens in my head, not as an easy access. Right. So they're they're not organized while I've been meaning to get to it for a number of years. Like to go through everything and categorize it real easy and have a nice system where I can pull up stuff. Right. Not, not even necessarily to scan everything, but just to have like an easy filing system. Sure. But I haven't done that yet. And I started it, but then that made it even worse because then I like took out my original system, yeah, completely disassembled that. So right. now I don't know where anything is. Oh. <laughs> so um, if I ever get to that, then I'll have a better system and then start scanning stuff. And there's, there's a number of photos I want to scan for other for future projects that I have in mind. Right. Um, that so one day maybe they'll be a little more accessible. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> but probably not. So, living the life of a freelancer, what's what's in your future? Right now, um, cause I still work. I'm working part time for Dig, doing a bunch of stuff regularly. Uh, do random bits and pieces here and there within BMX and outside of BMX, photo wise. Uh, future. My main focus is just I have right now is the maintain series. You know, I've done three full chapters and those those half, half chapters I did that were like video form sure. um, I have a total of ten in the mo- in mind 
they're not fully developed, but a few are in the works right now. That's my main thing. It's like that's that's just what I'm trying to like go photo wise is get that stuff completely wrapped up. Gotcha. Um, but outside of specific plans, I I mean I like shooting photos, so I still keep doing it no matter what it's for. Right. Even if it ends up being stuck on a hard drive for 15 years, no one ever sees it. But <laughs> I'm still gonna shoot photos, so I, that's why I like that. As long as I'm riding, I'm gonna be shooting photos too, because that usually happens by extension. That's right. how I got into photography to begin with, was right. because I rode. So yeah, uh, I think it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's never been like for some people, it's a stepping stone to do something else with photography. For me, it's just been an extension. There's no other stones. That, that is the platform. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that there's, there's nothing else. Not that I don't like shooting other stuff. There's plenty of things I have I shoot that I enjoy outside of bike riding. And there are projects I have in, in the works, especially within Philly, that have nothing to do with bike riding. But bike riding is still like my main focus of photography. Right. So I guess we're we're down to shout outs. I mean do you uh, do you have anyone you want to shout out or you know? Oh man, that list would be really, really, really long. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can start with you. No. First of all, for having making a place to ride in '95 in your backyard, just going there and riding there was awesome. Yeah. You doing these podcasts is really cool. Everyone I've listened to so far has been really entertaining. Oh, thank you. Um, and you're putting out like a cool historical aspect that people might not know about, especially like all the Long Island stuff was really cool to hear. Yeah, everybody's yeah. stories. Um, it's it's exciting. It's yeah. fun doing that. Ah, uh, man. Or this, Nick, I should yeah. say. Yeah. Outs, I mean, thanks is just such a, it's a tricky one because you never want to leave anyone out. Sure. Um, first and foremost, Nicole Perry, my girlfriend, she's helped me so much in the last 10 years just with everything that I do. She's like the best copy editor I know. So oh. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for her, some of my writing that would come out in the last 10 years might be pretty terrible. But Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, million other reasons to thank her but uh you know my family my mom uh, all my friends everybody that supports maintain will smith he's helped me tons just doing what he can keeping day going right um and all the opportunities given me through that um everybody that's paid me for photos whatever over the years every single person i can only say thanks you know 10 times over you know just they, they sure. give me the they've helped that's given me the opportunities to do everything I do today because of what they've done for me in the past right. um, yeah I mean the list could go every, I mean man there's too many people to thank no. <laughs> every person that's like put out some kind of effort whether it's like building a spot building trails making something cool through media being a friend to someone else you know all that stuff like just 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 yeah so many people to thank that make the basically everybody that makes the bmx community what it is today you know the, the good aspects of it i'm not talking about any of the nonsense that's going on that's like self-promoting self-serving and i'm not talking about any of that i'm talking about the people right, that right, are doing right. things for the pure reasons those are the people i think yeah all the other stuff doesn't mean anything yeah it doesn't mean anything now and it's not gonna mean anything 10 years from now makes perfect sense to me yeah not to leave out negative I got you. Because you know, you hear a lot of people complain about like, oh, BMX is what it used to be. It's there's all 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 the stuff that's going on. It's it's so bad. It's like I wish BMX go back in time. 
there's so many good things going on today. So, like, right. you just have to dig for it and be around the right people. Right. It's there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, what and I always say is, is is be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Exactly. Do your contribution yeah. to the positive ends of it, and it's just going to get better. Right. So, I, in my opinion, BMX is as good as or better than it's ever been. Right. Like, the people I'm around, the, you know, especially the fact, I mean, you could, I could go on forever about this, too. It's just the fact of, like, how BMX... The BMX community has like kind of aged. Right. Uh, certain aspects of it have aged, and those people that are have aged within the bike community are sticking with it. Mm-hmm. That aspect is almost like a newer realm that hasn't been. It's like kind of like untouched territory. Right. That's getting established. That's making bike riding so much stronger, and right. it's so cool to see. Oh, that's why it's so cool to to see the Jay Lonergan. Um, yeah. yeah. Take like, deal. Jay is Jay is a hundred percent. Like a prime example of that, he's like the epitome of like that example, right? You know, right. so yeah, we need to keep. And it's like you know, more, not to. I don't know if you want me to go on more of a rant, but <laughs> you, can, you can rant. That's right. fine. Not more of a rant, but just like more talking. But you know, I remember when I was a kid, when I was like seventeen, and riding and seeing a dude that would like. I remember, some dude had turned twenty-two, and I'm like, that dude's so old. Yeah. Like, you know, like the age, the perception of being old and bike riding back then is an entirely different world than it is today like you even when you're like the early 90s if you're like 25 30 riding it's like oh man that guy's old right you know? right then it was like oh 40 he's old right now you have dudes that are 50 riding yeah and still riding and still involved and doing stuff absolutely like yeah everything's changing like there's this like whole God, look, at Rick, look at Rick Thorne. Look at I mean, there's so many. There's, yeah, DMC. Still oh, sending nine hundreds on vert. He's, he's over fifty. DMC. He's been, he, he was a big time rider when I was a kid, just getting into riding. Like, yeah. And he's still killing it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, still shredding. Not even, that doesn't mean that he has to do what he was doing twenty years ago, but he's sure. still riding. Not even about. It doesn't even matter what you're doing. If you're just jumping curbs, that you're right. still riding. It's awesome right. to see that. Like, there's that element of bike riding that's growing right and oh, you know and essentially hopefully and hopefully influencing the younger generation it, it, yeah. it definitely crosses uh, different types of, of BMX as well because you look at a guy named uh, named a guy like Eric Rupp yeah, yeah. You know, we're yeah talking, I'm, not, I'm not even talking about like the racing aspect yeah, that, that's like a whole different realm it's, but it's on both that, ends yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, multi, yeah, it's yeah, become totally. multi-generational yeah. on on in so many genres of BMX that yeah. I think it's I mean there's always there's cool. always been dudes like older in racing you know like like the cruiser you know the 40 and over cruiser class so it's like that's been an element in racing but uh, I mean that's a whole other subject but I'm not going to get into like, talking, racing I'm just talking about yeah. simply guys that haven't stopped in racing yeah, yeah, yeah but but it's it's cool to see that in freestyle mm. like there was that never existed really right you know like right. especially in the 80s all that first generation outside of like Wilkerson yeah. and a couple other key dudes all those dudes stopped when everything crashed. They moved on to the block. Like, yeah. oh, I'm done with riding. Right. I mean, some of those dudes came back. Right. I, but it's like... Um, but most of it, it was just like... That ended it. And it made it like, almost like this definitive thing where like, all right, when you get to a certain age, you stop. Sure. That's like being erased. That's completely... It keeps getting erased like as far as that limit. Like, oh, when you're at this age, you stop. When you're at this right. age, you stop. But yeah. it, it just keeps... It, it keeps going now. It's it's not going to stop. I there's like that pi- there's that pioneering like group of riders, yeah. like say like DMC and like, yeah. Mal Turner, these guys that are like continuing on. 
And there's office. countless dudes that are unknown. Yeah, yeah. There's countless dudes that are unknown. Yeah. That are in the, like there's a dude that lives around here, Brett Downs. He's I know 50. Brett Downs. Yeah, he's fifty. And he like flipped the box here at FDR like for his birthday. You know, like Did he? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Like so it's like, yeah, it's cool to see. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what, what's going on in ten years from now. Oh, absolutely. Like when there's new like what new barriers are broken as far as like oh I'm sixty. Yeah. Do I still pedal a bike? You know, like yeah. which obviously people are should be able to. There's right. really no difference. Right. Whether they're like busting nine hundreds or not, that's another story, but like people probably still be involved. Right. It's not even matter what they're doing, it's the fact that they're still doing it. That that's what's going to be cool to see. Yeah, that's. You know what? That's a good way to end it because we're a couple guys in our forties and we're we're sitting here at a skate yeah, park. Yeah, for some reason I'm I'm still riding my bike. I don't know why. <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah. A couple guys in our forties would be. Uh, yeah. Would be hanging out at FDR, talking to each yeah. other about old times and still yeah. and, and still riding after after training around this place for a bit. Yeah, some reason. I'm so still it's it's getting it's, shinners. That's right. Hit spraining appendages <laughs> I don't know why but I guess I oh you do too alright so I'm yeah. not the only one alright <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel better about that then I've been way too often man and every time it happens I'm like why am I still doing this right. <laughs> I'm still hurting myself I'm doing right. this when I was 15 why am I doing it now like there's better things to do but I still do it I don't know because there are no better things yeah, to I do yeah I guess there's not yeah it's just, <laughs> trust yeah, me this yeah. is the best option for sure <laughs> Well, I appreciate you doing this. This was, yeah, this no was fun. Thank you for having me, giving me the opportunity. Oh, anytime. Anytime. Let's, let's Hopefully I didn't some... put too, too many people asleep like this. <laughs> can under my car. Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only Mr. Candy. He's the only one that would fall, fall asleep listening to this. <laughs> for sure. Oh, man. But uh, good times. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, thank you.